Long before Mario Puzzo wrote The Godfather, and before Brando and Pacino brought the book's characters to life on the big screen, the real Godfather, Capo del Tutti Capo, Lucky Luciano, ruled over the world of organized crime. In many ways, he was the founding member. Gambling, prostitution, guns, and shallow graves were his stock in trade. And he had the power to make his enemies sleep with the fishes, and his allies made men. He was public enemy number one, and he remains the original gangster. It's time for another mob bus. Uh, we're going to go back to the mob. Uh, we're going to talk about Lucky Luciano. I, I really found this guy fascinating. He's one of the most interesting people. And, and I'm not one of those people. You're much more of the mob guy. You love these stories of these mobsters. I didn't know anything about this dude until we researched this episode. And I'm so glad we're doing him. What, uh, <laughs> Capo del tutti capo, yeah. yeah? Boss of bosses. The boss of bosses, right. Yeah. So uh, Anthony Meadera and I are here again for another episode of Blind History. We're focusing on Charles Lucky Luciano, whose real name was Salvatore, but uh, he liked being called Charles. He thought Sal or Sally was a bit effeminate. Yes, so you needed to change that. So <laughs> right. he did change it. You know, why not? You could change anything. Like a lot of these guys, he was born in Sicily. Yeah. But at nine years old, he was already in New York, and he was already running a protection racket. <laughs> but I think that, you know, if we had to just start with a little bit of compassion. Um, sure. You know, the parents wanted to escape because his dad was a miner, mm. and uh, they were living in a compound. And not a miner as in young, but a miner in the… Worked in the mines. It worked yeah. in the mines. And then he thought he's going for a better life, but sadly… They went from the pot into the frying pan because in Mulberry Street in those days in the, on the, on the lower east side, it was just absolute slums where they lived. And he was put into school. He couldn't speak any English and he was chucked into school because he was the oldest of the siblings. And I think effectively it was, he just couldn't cope. And he was the type of personality that, that, you know, stuff this. If I quite, you know, I'm not going to hang around. So he tried for four years mm. and. Uh, and then he dropped out because it was just, it was an impossible task. He was really set up to fail. You know? Listen, life was hard Very at hard. that point. It was really tough. And especially for immigrants in New York, not an easy place. At the time, I mean, he, he really showed his gift. <laughs> and he, so he started protecting. And this is what they called them the young Turks, the new Italians, the ones that were born in Italy or who just moved over when they were very young. They were more open to mixing with the Irish and the Jewish All the other immigrants. They yes. kind of, even though they didn't all love each other, they had a very open-minded idea. And in fact, this guy, unlike so many of the other Italians who only wanted to stick to Italians, he got that like if he worked with the Jews and the Irish and everybody else, he could really do quite well. And it's exactly what happened. There was the old Italians and the new Italians. So the old Italians, when they, they came across when they were already older in their twenties, thirties, and they set up mob operations, but they were very much old school in tradition, loyalty. Mm-hmm. So they were so busy in fighting with each other and, right. and try, if there you were vendettas and family issues yeah, from the old country, all and, that type of stuff. And yeah. then the problem with this was that you're going to whack him and then his friend is going to whack him and then 
find out that you set the whack and you're going to get whacked and whacked and whacked. If you listen to Charles, then you wipe everybody out. Yeah. So it's, and it's, it's unnecessary. <laughs> so, so the old boys, they got whacked. Yeah. And then the young guys took over. Well, this guy, if we had to look at the big picture of Luciano, he really was the guy who started the five families. Correct. Yes. Um, and he was also the guy who decided, put aside your internal differences. Let's run this as a business. There's money to be made. Stop fighting with each other and let's make this work. Organized crime, yes. not disorganized crime. It's 100% right and also in a perfect environment because um, they set up the prohibition. In the 1800s, sort of the later 1800s in, in, in America, the consumption of alcohol was three times more than it is currently today. Hmm. So there were serious problems. People were very drunk. Exactly. And the ladies were the ones that actually started fighting for this because they were getting beaten up all the time. <laughs> so they started fighting for this prohibition. And finally, it did come into play. But, you know, many things that we talk about today, like a booze cruise. Yeah. So because there was prohibition, they had these ships that you could go on. You can just go on a booze cruise for two, three days where you could just drink. and It was offshore. Right. And they had these ships lined up just outside the international waters, and they used to call them the rum row, um, right. which were these, all these ships lined up with rum in them so they could work a ways of getting it onto mainland New York. And the other thing was if you look at all the business, pharmacies grew from 50 to 500 pharmacies because doctors could prescribe okay. alcohol for medicinal purposes. Well, there's that very famous picture of that horrendously ugly woman. And it says, lips that touch liquor shall not touch ours. (laughs) And you think to yourself now, well, nobody wanted to, honey. But, (laughs) I mean, at that point, they were the ones who'd pushed for the prohibition. And what a disastrous idea. Because obviously, as you say, it pushes everything underground and offshore. And then you can't tax it. There's no control. This is where Al Capone and people like that made all their money. And Luciano was Right at the dead center, New York, which was obviously the biggest city. Arguably, Luciano was probably 10 times as big as Capone. Sure. You know, Capone was just good at uh, PR. Yeah. But Joseph Kennedy, you know, if you look at the, (laughs) so so this prohibition really uh, did make the Kennedy wealth. Yeah. So I suppose the, the thing that he's most well known is he set up the commission and it sounds like such a legit thing. The commission was basically all the most important mob bosses or organizations from all over America, East Coast, West Coast, Florida, Philadelphia, Chicago, it included Al Capone. They all had a vote on the commission, but he was the big boss. Yeah, the boss of bosses. He never wanted to be called the big boss. He didn't like that. Mm. He started off working for uh, Boss Joe. Yes. So right in the very beginning, these were the old boys that were there. There was two ways to go. His siblings went the straight way, and then he said, either I go the straight way or I go the fast way. He picked the fast way. He made $250 in a craps game at the <laughs> age of 14, and that was more than his dad's yearly wage. So then he started the racketeering and protectionism, and then he, and he was protecting the Jews effectively from himself, you know, because right. you'd get the, the Italians to beat up the Jews, and then right. he would protect them. But one guy refused to be protected. He was a small little guy. And he said, stuff your oaks, da-da-da-da, and, and it was Mayalansky, actually a Russian, I can't pronounce his name, mm. but um, he's, later on they called him Mayalansky. And together with Bugsy Siegel, who was very notorious and scary. Yeah. If you see a picture, please, as the listeners, go look at a mugshot of Bugsy Siegel. Right. Scary, scary. But they were in partnership, and Charles never lost sight of that. Arnold Rothstein, Mayalansky, 
Bugsy Siegel, and then the new guys on the block, which is Genovese. Gambino came in at Carlo Gambino. Right. So all of them. And we left off Castello, obviously. Luciano joined the five point scam. They all did. Mm-hmm. And even Al Capone was involved in that. And then he joined Massero. But in turn, there was another guy that was also there and his name was Marazano. Masseria and Marazano fought each other and it was called, it was actually quite a famous Castellarami war. Right, right. And it was right. actually stupid because they just murdered each other. Right. This is literally where they got part of what the Godfather's about the movie is the way they whacked Masseria. Luciani invited him for lunch. They had lunch at this beautiful restaurant. And they were playing cards after lunch. And uh, he says he's just going to the bathroom and in walked the Jewish mob. They came in and they put 40, 50 bullets into him. Wow. So he did his job. Marazana said, thumbs up. Mm-hmm. But then Luciano said, this guy's going to whack me. Mm-hmm. So he whacked <laughs> Marazano and he left the card in his hands. Also famous. And that's where the whole Godfather thing emanated wow. from. But then he said he's going to stop all of it. And that's where you come to the commission. He said, now we stop all these wars. All of us are going to make money and we, we're going to go underground so the cops don't catch us. So obviously this was running pretty well. He was making lots and lots of money. He wore fine suits. He, he was the prototype of the mafia boss that we would later know. But there was a guy called Dewey who was, uh, he eventually became New York governor, but he was a, a prosecutor and he wanted to get Lucky Luciano. Yeah. And, and he, he got him. All of these guys get caught because of taxes, and in this case, also prostitution. Yeah. He ran a massive prostitution ring in New York, like just thousands of women. 250 brothels. I mean, unbelievable, the, yeah. the amount of prostitution going on in $12 million dollars in those days. $12 million dollars in income. This is big, and he realized things are getting a bit hot, so he tried to run away. He eventually ended up in a place in Arkansas, thinking he could ride it out but they found him because he was so recognizable mm. you know he was notorious he was picture in the papers this this guy who dressed so well who lived this extravagant life so it was only a matter of time before they caught him and uh, they put him in jail right correct and and they gave him a sentence seems like a stiff sentence because between 30 and 50 years for basically prostitution running brothels mm-hmm. that's what but happened he was public enemy number one yes right. he was so they chucked him in prison but he ran the business. Now, much later, famously, you get guys like John Gotti, the wannabes, et cetera, et cetera, mm. like 50, 60 years later, who try to do that. They didn't succeed. He ran yeah. the prison. He had a guy making food, the most notorious prison <laughs> on the East Coast. He sat there. All the other inmates were looking after him. Right. And he really had a good life. He was in for 10. But he still ran the, the whole business the from whole business. prison. Exactly. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. He kind of deputized Costello and Genovese yeah. to do to do a lot of the Genovese stuff. Genovese was a bit of a snake in the grass, but well, he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, at this point, so he said, Costello, you're in charge. Yeah. Genovese didn't like that at mm. all, and he would later become a problem. Yeah. Um, but eventually, thanks to the war, he got out because he the, the the navy intelligence needed to know who was running the harbors and ports in Sicily, who was running the harbors and ports in New York, and the mob knew this better than anyone mm. else. So they basically made a deal with him. They said, help us out. We want to beat the fascists in Italy. We want to beat the Nazis. And he did. He said, I'll help you with whatever, but I want to get out of jail. Yeah. They said, cool, but when we take you out of jail, we're going to deport you to mm. Italy. Get Just get ready. You can't fight this. If you fight that, you try to get in the way, we're going to put yeah. you back in jail. So he gets out. 
And obviously at this point, the war has ended. So local enemies start to become more important to the U.S. government at that point. And they say, you're going straight to Italy. So he, you know, picks up his stuff. He goes, apparently there was a farewell party. Maya Lansky said that a big farewell party. Yeah, they did actually have one. Did they have it? Because the cops said there's no record of that. Yeah, some boats came out to Ellis Island because he was sent back to Ellis Island and they had a little party (laughs) on the banks. There was some crazy stuff going down. They were like they brought on a whole bunch of women and booze. And And he said, I'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) Then he was shipped off to Italy. Now, this I think this is quite an important point to raise here because he spent a couple of months in Rome. He was kicked out of Rome, never allowed to go back. And then he went to Havana. Yes, Cuba. Why yes. Cuba? Because obviously it was near enough to America, so he could still run things. He also had lots of contacts there. They'd built a hotel. Mm. Apparently it was the playground of the but rich it was, and famous. It was Mayor Lansky and Bugsy Siegel's hotel. Oh. But they'd already needed to make a, de- a big decision on Bugsy Siegel because he was doing, in Las Vegas, he was doing uh, quite a few things wrong. And yeah, they, yeah. He, he and is, they agreed to whack him. Isn't he also a bit of the inspiration behind the story of – uh, that movie, Casino, right? That is, that's, exa- yeah. that's him. That's Bugsy Siegel. And then they took him out. They killed him. Yeah. because, And they decided that in Cuba. He'd become a problem. He became a but problem. But they organized this big uh, conference in Havana, right? With all the yeah. mob bosses. Again, they all came in. They all had a meeting. This is where they wanted to make Lucky the boss of all bosses. Mm. And he had a bit of an argument with uh, Genovese there and, and had yeah. him uh, kicked down the stairs. He had a couple of ribs broken. Yeah. Um, but he said to him, if you ever – call me this again or you ever try any of this stuff again you work for me mm. don't make me lose my temper yeah. and then you know in the end they set him up with drugs in his house and the, and they told the cops there's drugs in the house and he was put away hmm. and then frank castella took over that's a little bit later on but uh, there's a small caveat here which is quite interesting because frank sonata has been linked to the mafia for years but clearly he was a mobster yeah if you have to look at his life his parents came from italy so his dad married a, an American lady with Italian background. She started a pub and it became famous for the mobsters used to go there. And that's where Frank started singing. So mm. he was always with the mobsters. So people think he started getting involved with the mobsters. He was always involved always. with them. And, and they invited him, Frank Sinatra, to Cuba to do a massive concert for the opening of the hotel. <laughs> so it was all fitting in beautifully. And, you, and, and Sinatra would say – I was doing a show there. It just so happened yeah, yeah, yeah. that they were there, whatever it was. But, <laughs> right. but Frank was fully involved with these, which is quite a nice caveat. You know, you get Joe Kennedy and you get Frank Sinatra and Lucky Luciano. They were very close. And also, I mean, all these names that we get for the mob, La Cosa Nostra, he came up with that. Correct. And, and the, you know, the boss with the consigliere and then the underboss and all these generals and then the soldiers, this was all a, an organogram he devised. Because he wanted to make it organized crime. He mm. wanted it to be like a proper business. And effectively, he made it like that. Right. And, you know, the omerta means, you know, you're sworn to silence. So if you're a made man, you would go into the ceremony. And that ceremony carried on for the next 80, 90 years. They cut your finger. And then you would – the blood, you drip onto this picture of a saint. Right. And then they would take that picture of the saint with your blood on it and burn it hmm. and they say and effectively you answer first and foremost to the mob family then to god then to your family wow and this is what happens to you symbolically this is what happens to you if you go against that you burn 
Wow. So those are all the things that he put in place. And, and, and uh, Cosa Nostra was our thing. So this is our thing. I don't rat on you. You don't, mm-hmm. you know, we don't do those things. He famously showed that in 1929. They actually, they put a hit on him. And uh, this is quite early in his career. It was during the Castellarami Wars. Mm-hmm. It could have either been Macero or Maranzana, whoever mm-hmm. did it. And they put him in a limousine, took him out to the harbor, and they cut his throat, hmm. and they slashed him across the eye. Th- that's why he had the, the one droopy eye, right? Correct. And that's. But he survived. A, a policeman survived. actually found him. And Correct. That's why they called him Lucky, too, wasn't yes, it? Yes, that was one of the reasons 100%. they say that, Okay. Another interesting thing was Lucanio was their name. So hmm. Salvatore Lucanio, and you mentioned it a little bit that he didn't like the name Sal, Sally. Hmm. And so he changed it to Charles, but also, the cops in one, cause he was arrested so many times, but most times he was never chucked in jail, but wrote it on the rap sheet. It was Luciana. So then right. he kept Luciana because it right. felt better. But if you look at his career, he was actually quite lucky. No, he was. I mean, tremendously and, and a good gambler too, by the way. Yeah. So let's just talk about the, the end of his life. Cause he eventually was, his travel was severely limited. Like yeah. the U.S. government were on to him. He couldn't mm. go to Cuba. He couldn't go to South America. He was basically stuck in Italy, and he couldn't even travel much in Italy. Like it, he was banned from his, Rome. Yeah, he took his passport away. That was the end. So, so what happened to him at the end? This is where what I found very interesting, and that I didn't know about Lucky Luciano. He was, I think, three or four years before his death, he was running a multi-million-dollar drug operation, <laughs> shipping drugs <laughs> out of Italy. Into Italy, he was running massive operations. The Italian cops were onto him, but they're not onto him. Onto him, and they're not onto him. He married his childhood sweetheart, not childhood, but the only sweetheart that he really loved. Right. Um, she was a dancer in Italy somewhere, and I think like 30 years, he's, he's junior. <laughs> he ran this operation till the day he died. Apparently, they had the facts they were going to th- throw away the key in the next year. Mm-hmm. And he died of a heart attack before they could get to him. So he was deep, deep into the. But drug. he was, wasn't he also trying to have a movie made of his life? And he was waiting at the airport in Naples. That's exactly what. Yes. And that's where he had the heart attack. Correct. While he was waiting for the movie producer yes. to arrive so they could do the story of his life. This is what the biography says is that he was having second thoughts because of Omerta um, and, mm. you know, it's our thing, Cosa mm. Nostra. He was a bit, he was a bit worried on how this movie is going to be portrayed. Didn't they also arrange for him to be buried in New York? You can actually go and I've actually visited his, um, his little grave setup. Really? Yeah. It's in Queens. Huh. And then there's also some famous areas like Mulberry Street. Right. You know, when you go into, into New York and you go down to Mulberry Street, that was the famous place where all the Italians hang out. The Ravens Club is there where, where famously, uh, the Pope, Paul Castellano and John Gotti used to meet. Right. And that was his home. So you had a, a small funeral of 800 people odd in Naples. And then he had, I think there was, there was north of 2000 people that came maybe for interest or whatever it was <laughs> in New York to pay their respects. And, and at that funeral was Carlo Gambino and a newspaper reporter asked his brother, cause Charles Lucky put this Big, big, big uh, painting of, of, of a saint. And he said, what saint is that? And he said, and what, what is the history behind it? He said, I have no clue. There are no saints in my family. Wow. This guy had no children either, huh? He famously said that uh, he doesn't want his kids to grow up like a Luciana. And, and he blamed Dewey for having the reputation of a gangster. Correct. He said if, yeah. if Dewey hadn't prosecuted him so relentlessly he would never have been called a gangster he was just a businessman yeah. in his opinion 
But if you look at his, <laughs> but, but I think, Gareth, if you look at his life, he was working very hard to keep everything quiet. Wow. You know, he knew, he knew that, that you need to keep these things quiet, fly under the radar. And he was very much like that. And actually, he said near the end, he had some regrets. He said, I should have just been an, not an honest. He says, because the guys that are doing it legally are just as dishonest as I am. Yeah. And you need to be clever to well, be that he dishonest. Was. And he says he probably could have made his millions on the other side of the fence. And that's a regret that he had. Well, Time magazine in 1998, they said he was the criminal mastermind among the top 20 most influential builders and titans of the 20th century. So they even regard him as one of the, the 20 smartest people who lived in the 1900s. It goes very much back to what we see as the, the mafia, keeping everything quiet, um, dressing in these immaculate suits, mm-hmm. any whacking, you can't pin it on them. Right. It's sort of almost romanticized. And that was yeah. that was the, the era of Charles Lucky Luciano. And he was the guy. He was the original, was the, the real... The boss of bosses. Right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Blind History. Every episode is available on the Cliff Central app, cliffcentral.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode... He took two lives for every one he improved. And if we think about it, I don't think there's anybody on this planet that can be responsible for north of 70 million deaths of his own people, it has to be said. 